Welcome to the podcast of RUF at Boston University. Hi, I'm Serena. I know, I think I know all of you, but I'm glad you guys are all here. Um, yeah, I'm taking a turn uh, speaking today, so I'm thankful that you guys are being charitable with your time and giving it to me and to all of us tonight. Um, let me just pray real quick, and then we will continue to think about work. So, God, thank you that you're meeting us here today. Thank you that um, we can bring all of ourselves to you. Um, I pray that you would speak through your word and through my words, um, which is crazy to think. And I just pray that um, wherever all of us are, that you would meet us, that you would reveal yourself to us, and that you would give us more of yourself tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I looked up some quotes, hustle and grind quotes, on Google. And I was appalled. <laughs> Just kidding. Some of it was fine. Some of it was fine. Other parts of it was, like, not so great. So, first, I found this hustle verb, the only controllable pillar of success. Like, is that inspirational? I don't know. I feel like maybe it is. Like, okay, I can control my success if I just hustle, right? Um, next one was hustle in silence and let your success make the noise. It's like, okay, all right, maybe I can get amped up about that. Like, I don't have to make noise. I can just kind of do my work. Everyone else can notice. Uh, next, though, <laughs> hustlers don't sleep, they nap. Don't love that. I was very concerned. Um, and the next one, good things come to those who hustle, you know? Um, I think the original phrase is good things come to those who wait. Um, so we're kind of turning that on its head. And lastly, this doesn't even have the word hustle in it, but it showed up <laughs> on the page, the week get eaten. Um, yeah, so you better hustle or else you'll get eaten. Um, so I was thinking about this hustle life. And one example of that, oh yeah, if you just want to turn it off, I don't have anything else. Okay. One example of that, I don't know if you guys have heard this quote by Elon Musk before. Um, back in 2018, I think, he said that 80 to 90 hours of work per week was manageable. And 120 hours per week, he went a little bonkers. <laughs> and I was just like, what? Is that life? Like, at what point is that life work worth it, right? Like, we have this crazy mentality, well, in my opinion, it's crazy, mentality of, like, work until you're dead, Right? Is it worth it at a million dollars? Is it worth it at 200 billion, which is Elon Musk's most recent net worth, I think? And to me, that just, I don't know, it just seems like you're kind of enslaved to your work at that point. Um, so that mentality might seem extreme to you, or it might seem like it's kind of impossible to get away from it. Um, here at BU, it's an accepted fact, so I hear, that in order to pass certain classes or in order to get through certain majors, you're just going to have to pull a bunch of all-nighters. You're going to have to overload your schedule. You're just going to have to be busy from dawn till dusk, right? And um, you guys have summer internships lined up. Like, I don't know. I feel like you have them lined up in the fall for the next summer, which is great, but you guys are really getting it out there. Um, I remember talking to freshmen at the beginning of my first year here, and they're like talking about their 10-year plan. I've never had a 10-year plan, so I don't know. It just seemed like they're really ahead of the game there. So whether you think of yourself as a workaholic or you think you probably should be a workaholic, but you're not, um, our understanding of what makes good work and the purpose for our work often leads us to anxiety, 
in and about our work or lack thereof, right? We feel like better humans if we're busy. <laughs> More, you know, accepted. Like the space we take up on planet Earth is justified. Whew. Um, so we've been talking about work the last few weeks. Um, and if you remember, Nathan walked us through kind of like the creation of work um, two weeks ago and how the goodness that God created work to be was broken by sin. And the results of that are this cursed world that we live in. Um, and so we experience that as like working with very little payout. Um, we often don't see the purpose of our work in the greater scheme of things. Or like the harder we work, the less it feels like we're really making a difference. And so today we're going to sit a couple more minutes in the problem, in the ill of the curse of work. And then we're going to step into the solution that God provides to our identity problem with work. So spoiler alert, uh, turns out our work is finished. Um, that is our work to justify our existence um, and to work ourselves up to, you know, a decent human being. Uh, that work is done. And because that work is done, we have the freedom to stop justifying ourselves through our work. So that's point one, freedom to stop. Uh, and then we'll see we have the freedom to start working out of our justification instead of for it. So the freedom to stop and the freedom to start. Um, and I also just want to let you know, as I was preparing for this talk, Nathan and I have both been looking at and using uh, this book by Timothy Keller called Every Good Endeavor. Um, I wanted to bring it as a visual aid, but I left it at home. <laughs> it's red, if that helps. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'd really... Um, recommend reading it if you're interested in like thinking more in depth about you know how all this stuff about work and, and the bible and um your vocation so that's my recommendation um but yeah we use i have a lot of things in here from that book so all right so first of all uh the freedom to stop justifying ourselves through our work so here's the problem we as humans you know we're made in our working god's image and we get our priorities switched around <laughs> Um, instead of working because we're loved, we work to be loved, right? Um, we put our identity in our work. And so when we see that our, like when our identity seems to be so wrapped up in what we do, um, at some point, we're going to fail, right? We're going to fail in our work or our work is going to just not be fulfilling or let us down in some way. And in that moment, like we have to take it personally, um, because it is us. If we think of ourselves as our vocation, as our career, as our, you know, as a student, as a doctor, um, if that's our identity and we fail, um, it feels as though, you know, I'm not worth anything when I don't perform well. Um, but we do this all the time. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you guys talked to like a college counselor before coming to college. Um, you probably did. You probably talked about all the different options, probably talked with your parents and like compared with your friends, your SAT scores or um, your acceptance letters and probably like dominated your thinking for a few years there, right? Um, and it might've felt like once you get that choice right, once you start college, your life would be just set in motion and you just need to do, do the work and happiness, <laughs> right? On a platter. Um, but, but what happens when like the major you chose are really hard classes and you're not doing so well um, or when you realize that you don't actually know what a passion for this subject is like you thought you had it but it doesn't seem to be there anymore and so suddenly this clear future picture that you had is now like very blurry and just kind of nebulous and you have no idea where you're headed that can be very disorienting and your identity can come into question 
Um, I've had that experience and it's not fun. <laughs> so you might be sitting here thinking like, I really don't have a problem with this. Like, I don't have a problem with workaholism. I don't think I put my identity in my work. I'm just kind of doing it. And, and I'm there, I get it. Like, <laughs> um, I think that that's kind of where I come from as well. But let me ask you something like, do you feel better or worse after you're productive? Like about yourself? Because I know for me, I've, in the past, I've really hit this shame spiral real hard. <laughs> and uh, when I felt like I wasn't doing enough work, right? Like, oh man, I've rested too much today. You know, like this is another way of putting our identity in our work. Um, and having an unhealthy relationship to it. We still like think that it's going to make us a better person. Um, so we might have big dreams. We might want to change the world or we might just want to get our work out of the way so we can get to the good stuff. Um, it's all wrapped up in this lie that that's how we justify our existence through our productivity. Um, now I do want to clarify this desire to work, this desire to be productive and to make, uh, make something good and be a part of something great, that is a really good desire. Like that is God's image in you. Um, we talked about how God is a worker and he created us to work and he's given us all these really good callings and these vocations in order to participate with him um, in making his world new. So it's good that we want perfection and it's good that you want, you know, to do your best and that you want to your work to mean something in the grand scheme of things. Um, but I know for me, and I think for you too, <laughs> when this good desire becomes ultimate, it turns into this crushing weight of expectation on us. Um, and it just, yeah, it's not good. Um, so what does it look like when we begin to get these priorities and work wrapped up with our identity? Um, for example, when we work for others' approval alone, we burn out easily. We get disappointed when others don't give us the gratitude we feel we deserve, right? Like we, we've done all this for them and they don't recognize it. Or when we work for excellence alone, we get discouraged or burn out because we can never do it perfectly enough and our work will always in some way disappoint. When we work for the joy that it gives us alone, when it doesn't give us all that joy we're expecting, we'll wonder if something is wrong with us <laughs> or with the work. Um, when we work to live up to someone else's expectations for us alone, we end up on a track we didn't choose, didn't know how, don't know how to get off of, working out of a fear of disappointing others, not out of love or joy in our work. So individually, like these are all great reasons to work, but when they become our sole reason, they lead us into idolatry and destruction. And yeah, but we often take this performance mentality that we need to have in all the rest of our life. Like you kind of need to have a performance mentality in your classes to some extent, right? Like, you got to put in the work, you'll get a grade, that's good. But we apply that to our relationships, uh, particularly our relationship with God, and it suddenly becomes transactional. And maybe this isn't something we, like, think outright, but the way we relate to God often operates out of this idea that, like, blessings in my life correlate to how well I'm performing before God. So... For me or for you, maybe we understand God saved us. He, you know, we didn't put any work in on that. But I sure as heck want to prove that I was worth it. That he was the one, that he chose me and I was a good, good choice. Right? And so I still have that like performance mentality for him. So what's at the core of this workaholism or focus on our identity and our work? 
I think oftentimes it's shame. Um, when we feel that we're responsible for our own identity and we find our identity in our work, and when we fail or when we don't optimize or make the most use of the time we have or we don't find fulfillment in it, it must be our fault, right? When we're so tied up and wrapped up into that. So that leads to a really super fun shame cycle that leads to more unproductivity or more anxious work and more shame and so on and so forth. (laughs) But what if we didn't have to create our own meaning and for our work and identity? Like what if we didn't need to prove our own existence to ourselves or to others or to God? So stepping into the solution now that we see in scripture. Let's, uh, before we do that, though, let's think for, for a quick second, like, why do we have this tendency towards working our way into God's favor? Um, I was looking at Romans. Romans 2.6 says that God will give to each person according to their works. It is a natural, um, in our fallen nature, it's natural to be rewarded for good works and punished for bad works. And then just think about it. Like, that's how a just society works, right? Like, you want the government or the police <laughs> to punish evil and to reward good. Um, But where we go wrong is in believing that we have a leg to stand on before God, that our good works, our list of good works, is actually good before holy and just perfect God. Um, And that's that's where this argument in Romans 3 ends up, for the wages of sin is death, right? And so the only way that we can have rest from the self-justifying work is if God decides to clear the charges and make us new. And that, and that turns out, as you may have guessed, is exactly what has happened. So we've been looking at the beginning of the book of Genesis um, the last few weeks. So we read about how God created Adam and Eve, right? Good, and he gave them good work to do. Nathan, I think, said, fill and rule the earth, right? Are those the two things he said? Uh, and then in Genesis 3 last week, You know, we talked about how they rejected God's rule over them and um, believed the lie that God wasn't good. And that led to this curse, this natural outcome of their rebellion being placed on them. Um, And suddenly, work is hard. (laughs) Work is not going to be yielding everything that they want um, that was supposed to. But that's not the end of the cursing in Genesis 3. Um, We had it read earlier. The first gospel message was right here in the book. First book of Genesis. I don't know if you guys noticed that. Um, God curses the serpent, right? And so in verse 14, he's like saying, you know, he'll crawl on his belly. Um, so he's, he's kind of changing the, um, the way that he relates to the world. But then in verse 15, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So... Later in scripture, in the New Testament, we see someone else under the scene. Someone who keeps the law of God perfectly, unlike Adam. Someone who works hard and well, who struggles through the curse of work, but never once doubts God. Who delights in his work and in the joy of his father. His obedience makes up for the disobedience of Adam and of all of us. This offspring, who will kill the serpent and defeat death and sin, is Jesus. And so... We see in Luke 4, there's this great, uh, and, and all the Gospels, I think, have an account of Jesus being tempted. And he resists the temptation to put his identity in anything other than his relationship with his father. And later on in, in Luke 4, it's, he kind of gives this hint 
that he's the one who would finish the work of redemption set in place back in the Garden of Eden. His obedience and his perfection would be enough. But then the perfect man, Jesus, was betrayed and rejected by God and killed brutally on the cross. But that was to fulfill this plan for all of time, to rescue us from our slavery to sin and death. His last work secured a way for broken sinners to be made right with God. So hear his last words, it is finished, spoken over you today as you breathe a sigh of relief. If you trust in Jesus' work for you, your work is done. You are free to stop working for your own justification. So take a second and think about that. In what ways are you attempting to justify your existence before God through your work, career, or maybe just the preparations for your career that you're in school for right now? Um, How about before others or before yourself? And how is that working out for you? What has it led to? Has it led to discontentment or shame or anxiety or fill in the blank? Okay, so now we're going to think together about how the finished work of Jesus on our behalf frees us to work out of our justification instead of for it. So we've said the freedom to stop working now, freedom to start. Let's look at the second text that we read, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 again. It's on the screen. Love it. Notice the word works in this passage. It's there a couple times. So first we're told we're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. But that good works will result from that salvation. They come after the creation and after the death to life transformation that Jesus' death worked for us. So this text isn't primarily talking about career or vacation. um, But notice... Like, it's actually talking about salvation, right? Just like that justification that we've been talking about. But notice verse 10. uh, It says that we are God's workmanship. So we are God's works. Um, And he created us to be like him, to be many creators and many cultivators and many rulers over creation. So these good works that we are led to after we're brought into relationship with him through grace alone need to include the vocation and the work that he's given us to do, Right? So, prior to this, as we've said, humans were stuck in ultimately fruitless work. The curse of the garden affected all of us. And it was like a slowly ticking clock towards an unfortunate end. And on our own, our work to fill and rule over the good world God made actually ends up kind of making things worse, right? The only end in our efforts, if Jesus is not raised, if this is not true, is the grave. If we are not made new then the best we can do is hope that our work helps someone today because tomorrow it's just going to be empty. But because we have a God who came down to earth, he, the earth that he made, right, that he put us in, who took the mantle that we discarded, who perfectly fulfilled all that Adam was supposed to do, and who took the punishment we deserved, suddenly our work is different. It's transformed. We have purpose We have good work and good works to do because we are following and are participating with Jesus in his work. He has worked and created us. He has gifted us with relationship with him. He has gifted us with purpose in walking hand in hand with him as he continues the work of renewal and pushing back the curse that started in the Garden of Eden. 
So this means that we no longer have to put our identity in our work, right? We are no longer responsible for creating that meaning for ourselves. We are not our own. As we're reminded in the first question of the New City Catechism, plug for bite-sized theology, you guys should go. You can learn more about New City Catechism. But the first question that helps us think about theology in this catechism is, what is our only hope in life and in death? We could fill in the blank with a lot of things, but the synthesis of the Bible's answer here in this question is that we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is why God's kingdom, life in God's kingdom is one of freedom. When we know the king we serve is good, kind, perfectly holy, perfectly just, all-knowing, all-powerful, and he loves us more than we can imagine, suddenly this idea of like working alongside him to make his world new is an exciting one. This idea of not ultimately only belonging to myself, but belonging to him is one that brings me, at least, relief and purpose. So... I want to think about some implications for this idea for our work and vocation specifically. Um, and hopefully, there's kind of, a, kind of a lot here, but hopefully you guys, one of them strikes you and you can kind of bring that up in your small group afterwards and keep thinking about it. So how does trusting in Christ's work for you on the cross free you up to start working out of that justification? What might that look like? Um, so first of all, we have freedom from having to prove ourselves through our work. Now this is something I've been saying just going to recap real quick. Because we belong to Christ, he's already proven our worth to God through his death and resurrection for us. We no longer have to worry about proving ourselves through our work, right? We can breathe a sigh of relief. We can free to just do good work for the glory of God. Um, we also have freedom from self-righteousness in our work, right? Because we know that what we do doesn't gain any favor with God. We don't have the right to look at our gifts and talents and think that we're better than anyone else or that our vocation is better than anyone else's, right? We can appreciate the work and contributions of everyone, um, people who believe what we believe and people who don't, because we know that we're not saved by our good hearts or by our accomplishments. Um, we also have, because of Christ's work, we also have the freedom to seek work that suits our gifts and passions, not just work that will pay the bills or get us attention from others. Right? We know that God made us all unique, and he's gifted us all in unique ways. Um, and he's given us desires for certain fields and certain professions. Right, And this is a huge part of how we participate with God in renewing the world. We don't have to choose work based just upon what is practical or what other people want us to do, um, because God's given us a path. Right. Um, we also have freedom to see a need in the world, in the culture, in the society, and fill it and be a part of a solution for it based on what we know of God's will and how he's like given us gifts. Um, I think that Christians should be problem solvers, right? We should be a part of solutions to a lot of the brokenness in the world. Um, working alongside people who believe what we believe and others, people who don't, to push back the brokenness of the world through our work. And that, there's a lot of implications for that. So I hope you guys are thinking through how your, your vocation might do that. Um, and then just generally, we have the freedom to pursue any vocation. Not just those who are seen, that are seen as successful or by the world or by the church, right? 
And we've kind of mentioned this in the past, but we don't believe that there is any such thing as sacred work and secular work, right? All work that does not violate God's rule is good work. And God delights in the work of the florist and the chemist and the interior designer and the radiology tech, the financial consultant, just as much as he delights in the work of a pastor or a missionary. Who knows, maybe more, depending on how the pastor and missionary is doing, right? Um, And that's something that I had to think about when I was in college my last year, because I was considering doing ministry afterwards, which here I am still doing that. But um, I was challenged by someone in a seminar about work that um, maybe I was choosing this because I thought it was more holy. (laughs) I thought that, you know, this was the way to way to go, way to be a good Christian um, and kind of doing it out of a holier than thou mindset. Um, and so I really had to examine my heart and realize that, okay, this is where God's leading me, not just I'm going to do this to be good with God, you know? And so this also means that we don't have to just follow the steps laid out for us by others. Like, where is God calling you? Um, we should always take, you know, into account the advice of people who know us and love us because God gave us them so that we can be guided and learn, um, But we don't have to choose a path just because others think that we should, right? Um, We also have the freedom to question the worldview of the calling that we're going into or the vocation. Um, That's something that could take, we could talk all night about that. But (laughs) what can you affirm? What ideals or uh, just different things in your vocation that you can affirm as godly and good and leading to, to restoration? And what things are really broken that you need to push back against and can actually make your vocation a better place because you do that. Um, how can, you can be a part of making your vocation more redeeming and good. And, and finally, we have the freedom to work out of love and not out of fear. <laughs> um, burnout often happens when we elevate our work and the quality of our work above everything else. When we work out of anxiety and fear, we won't be enough. We won't be satisfied if we don't live up to those standards. But when we work out of the knowledge that we are loved and known in Christ and that he is empowering us to good work, we have the freedom to rest well and work hard, knowing that it's not our work that makes us worthy of love. So this is my one ball to catch. The work of justification, of proving ourselves worthy, is finished in Christ. If you put your trust in him, if you know him, You don't need to continue to try and prove anything. You are free to do your work and love it, muddle through it, fail at it, learn. Uh, You are free to do all of that and be a part of God's renewing work in the world. And if you're not sure where you are in your heart with God, um, we're really glad that you're here. And just kind of consider this as an invitation to think more about this and to think what would it be like to be in in on that (laughs) with Jesus. Um, And feel free to talk to me, Nathan, Jimmy, anyone, or in your small group, bring up questions. So let's just work through this together, friends. That's kind of what we're trying to do this semester. And let's grow together towards greater freedom in our work. Um, Let me pray for us, and then we will sing one more song. Lord God, um, we're grateful that you have given us great freedom because of Christ. I pray that um, you would help us to think through with each other, um, and with you, how you've equipped us and gifted us in our vocations as students, um, as 
office workers, as um, bar as baristas, as future, everything that we're hoping to be. Lord, I just pray that you um, would teach us more about um, how you're inviting us into your work of renewal in the world. Thank you for Jesus. And thank you that we do not have to prove ourselves for in front of you. In Jesus' name, amen.